Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Dr. Patrick Schreiner to the podcast. Dr. Schreiner serves as Associate Professor of New Testament and Biblical Theology here at Midwestern Seminary. Previously, he taught at Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon. He received his PhD degree from Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Dr. Schreiner is the author of numerous books, including his most recent work, The Ascension of Christ, Recovering a Neglected Doctrine, along with Matthew, Disciple, and Scribe, The First Gospel and His Portrait of Jesus, and The Kingdom of God and the Glory of the Cross. Dr. Schreiner also has three upcoming books as well, The Visual Word, An Illustrated Guide to the New Testament Books, The Mission of the Triune God, A Theology of Acts, and A Commentary on Acts with B&H Publishing. Dr. Schreiner, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. It's great to be with you, Dr. Allen. Hey, good to be in the studio with you today. And uh, we're recording this the week before Thanksgiving, and so we're, right. we're trying to dodge the COVID virus and tidy up the academic semester and uh, zoom in this week to, uh, to ETS happenings and presentations and all the That's rest. Great. But it's good to be here in the studio today. Good to be with you. So we'll be talking about the Book of Acts, and in particular, preaching the Book of Acts and building the conversation on your forthcoming commentary. And we'll come back to that here in a moment. Uh, but before we do that, give us a word of update on the Schreiner family. And uh, you guys, you're getting settled in Kansas City. Yeah. Tell our listeners about your children and uh, just how life in Kansas City is for you guys. Yeah. So the last time I think we talked on this podcast, we were talking about me possibly coming to Midwestern, and now we're sitting together here. So we moved here uh, at the beginning of August in the summertime, and now um, we joined a church, Emmaus Church here, and we're settling in here, both at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, having a great time. Um, just enjoying getting to know professors and students and staff. And then uh, we found a house here. And so uh, my wife and I have been married, Hannah, for 12 years, and we have four kids. And so one's 10, one's eight, one's six, and one's three, three girls and a boy. And so um, they're getting used to Kansas City. You know, we've had a beautiful fall, so that's been nice. We've been able to go outside a little bit more than Portland because every time I look at the app, I look at Portland, it's raining, and we've got some sunshine here, which is nice. We do notice the wind here, though. There's right, a little right. bit more wind than we're used to, but um, they've had fun. So my uh, son and wife went to Penguin Park uh, okay. the other day, and they really enjoyed that. So if you're from Kansas City, you might know what we're talking about. But if you're not, you, you know, know. <laughs> this is a brief digression, but Penguin Park evidently is kind of famous. And uh, it's just down the road from the seminary yeah. here. And I've yeah. always just kind of taken it for granted. But right. we were I bumped into some people touring Kansas City a couple of years ago, and they were passing through. And like they were in Kansas City for an afternoon, and uh, and they were telling me, say, well, we, there's two things we really want to do. We want to go eat at this restaurant they named, and we want to go to Penguin Park. <laughs> and I'm like, you mean like? And I, I was kind of having to narrow in. Are we talking about the same park yeah, here? Yeah. And uh, they said, yeah. And I said, that's right on the street from where I live. Yeah, and yeah, I said, is, right is this like road. a famous park? And the guy yeah. said, the guy said, yeah. So you can't miss it because there's literally a massive penguin, penguin there. That's <laughs> right. That's right. So the urgent question is, have have you and uh, your family become Chiefs fans yet? Oh, you know, I, I uh, grew up in Minnesota, so I love the Vikings. They are my first love. That's what I keep saying. But I've enjoyed watching the Chiefs succeed. And so being here, it's been really fun because the Vikings have typically um, kind of been a disappointment over the years. And so watching a team that has a quarterback that can really command the field has been really fun. Right. So I'm claiming them as my second team. So if they're ever not playing one another, I'm cheering for the Chiefs. But um, it's hard to lose the Vikings right now. So I, I enjoy watching them. It's been a different season, obviously, with no fans, but it, it's still been fun. Yeah. Well, I grew up an Auburn fan and um, just not even sure why. Just my family trended that way, being from Alabama. 
And Auburn just hasn't been inspiring in recent years. So I, I've transferred my my weekly three-hour time commitment in the fall from the Auburn Tigers to the Kansas City Chiefs. And nice. that has been a, a decision that yeah. was very wise in retrospect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a great time to follow them right now. I, I'm happy to say I'm, I'm going to jump on that bandwagon a little bit. But I feel like now that I live here, it's not so much a bandwagon. That's I can, right. I can actually right. claim them. It's who you are. It's exactly. Your identity. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get in here today. We're talking about the Book of Acts, in particular, preaching the Book of Acts. And uh, I guess the first question is, just tell us about the commentary project, um, how it came about, what prompted you to want to write on Acts, uh, what you learned, broadly speaking, as you completed the commentary manuscript. Yeah. So the funny, the story of me getting the commentary is kind of funny because uh, I had a friend who was editing a commentary series It's with uh, the Christian Standard Bible, which is coming out of the Southern Baptist uh, denomination. And they're doing a commentary series based on that. And he asked, would I like to do a uh, commentary with them? And I said, sure, here's my top three books, and um, all of them were taken. And so then he, <laughs> he said, would you like to do Acts? And I said, well, let me think about it. And I thought about it for a few weeks and prayed about it, and I got really excited about it. And so it kind of fell into my lap. And um, for the last two and a half, three years, I've been working on it. And uh, the aim of this commentary is to give a little bit more of a theology of Acts, a little bit more, uh, less historical, I do some history and exegesis, but really press into the theology of Acts and look at biblical theological connection. So it's been, um, it's, it's been so encouraging to me just to walk through Acts and get to know it better. And I'm teaching Acts here at Midwestern this spring, both online and on campus. And so I've just grown to love Acts and um, just seeing all the different themes. I mean, you have in Paul, he, he's sending these letters off to all these churches, but you have this kind of big picture of the church at the beginning stages as they're kind of launching after Jesus's ascension. What are they doing? What are the problems they're facing? And so it's so practical and encouraging, and uh, it's just a book that really pastors seem to come back to again and again. I always find pastors who are preaching through Acts, so I'm excited just to be in there with them and begin talking about with them. So before you undertook the commentary project, had you done much like in-depth study in Acts? I hadn't. Honestly, I'd done overview classes on it, and I had done maybe one-off lectures on certain sections of it, but I had never um, done anything in-depth. So I had a steep hill in terms of reading all the resources, and there's a lot out there. But um, I found so many good resources. I'm just so thankful for really the church throughout the centuries writing well on Acts and, and thinking well on Acts. So I really like Alan Thompson's book. He's on Australia in Australia. Um, he has an NSBT Carson series that's, that's great, The Acts of the Risen Lord. I usually assign that. That's a great book. Yeah, it is such an inspiring book, just so easy to read and to follow and get caught up in the, in the flowing narrative. Yeah. Um, I guess, again, just another big picture question. Your commentary itself, roughly how many pages, or if it's words or easier to quantify for you on the fly here? Uh, yeah, it's the longest project I've ever done. Acts is 28 chapters. Um, Luke writes more of the New Testament than any other author in the New Testament. And so um, I was trying to keep it as short as possible, but it's 270,000 words, which I'm not entirely sure what that will equal out. We're thinking maybe somewhere around uh, 400, 500 pages in a commentary. And so we I tried to keep it short, but it's hard with so many chapters to keep it no, short. No, it's a major project. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's yeah. very hard. Well, good for you. I'm delighted that you've gotten that um, to the publisher, and we look forward to seeing it on the bookshelf here soon. Yeah. All right, so we're talking about the Book of Acts, and I guess just one question and uh, to kind of set the stage. In, in your opinion, right, why did God give us the Book of Acts? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's a few books in the New Testament where they kind of give us like the purpose statement of why they wrote. So at the end of John, I write this so that you might believe Jesus is the Son of God. At the beginning of Luke, um, so Luke and Acts are connected, right? Luke is the gospel of Jesus, and then uh, you, you get Acts, which is the second volume. So 
at the beginning of Luke, he actually gives a purpose statement. He writes to Theophilus, who seems to be kind of the donor for this project. And he says in Luke 1, 4, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So I think Luke's purpose aligns with God's purposes in terms of why he gave us Acts. So if we kind of focus on that word certainty, there must have been some sort of uncertainty at that time about the things that were happening. And as you transfer that over to Acts, I tend to think as you look through all of Acts, that the uncertainty was especially, is this really God's kingdom plan going forward? So they recognized Jesus was the Messiah, but then he left and they were kind of like, I thought Jesus was going to inaugurate the kingdom now. I thought he was going to bring this thing to completion. And he says, no, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and you're, you're supposed to go out and do something. And I think as they're going through persecution, you, you read how they go to jail, how some people are killed, how Paul's on trial again and again and again. And I think many people would, would be wondering, is this really God's plan? Is this what we're supposed to be doing? And I think Luke writes to say, yes, this is God's plan. Yes, you are supposed to go out. It will mean persecution. But this is actually God's plan to spread the fame of his name to all nations. And so it's supposed to be uh, an encouragement and an assurance to God's people as they walk through trials and as they continue in the mission of the church. And so I think God gives us the book of Acts really as an encouragement to us to say, even though there might be persecution, even though we might not understand what happens to us, God's plan is to grow his church and to glorify his son. So you just alluded to kind of broad theme or broad themes. What else should pastors be looking for in the book? But not just you know, from a sermon preparation standpoint, but just as an informed reader, what are the major yeah. movements? Yeah. Well, they should be, Acts 1-8 is a key text here in terms of the, uh, he sends them out by the power of the Holy Spirit to go into Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth, Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so one of the big themes is obviously mission, like we're supposed to go out and tell others about Jesus, about what he's done, about his life, his death, his resurrection. We're supposed to spread the life of Jesus. Um, and so really, the, the whole book is kind of following that pattern of the apostles going out. And what you find again and again is that it's actually God who's pushing them out to these places that almost they don't want to go. <laughs> and so it begins in Jerusalem, right? It makes sense that it begins in Jerusalem. But as they even go into Jerusalem, Acts 3, there's this lame man who's sitting outside the temple, and he can't enter the temple, and, and God makes it clear he's going to heal him and actually bring him into the temple, which is symbolic of historical and symbolic of God is welcoming people, the downcast, the downtrodden, into his church into his kingdom. And that theme just continues to go on and on with the eunuch, with Cornelius, with all the people, those in Athens, those in Antioch, all the people that God includes into his kingdom. He's really welcoming all people. And um, the apostles are kind of figuring it out on the fly as they go. They recognize this is what God is doing, but he has to continually compel them to go out. And so that, that's one of the big themes to look for. It's, it's also great in terms of just looking um, at what the early church was doing. And so we have a lot of questions about what should the church look like right now? What should it look like in a uh, maybe a more and more post-Christian society? Well, as this new movement was arising, you can see in Acts 2.42 and following what, what they were doing. What were they devoting themselves to? They were devoting themselves to fellowship, to prayer, to teaching, to breaking of the bread, to generosity. And that's really helpful just in terms of seeing what the early church was doing because that becomes a model for us to imitate. Yeah, you know, I used the word inspiring a minute ago when thinking about the book and, and reading through the book. And 
many pastors I know do as well. Many pastors look to preach the book of Acts uh, when they, they're beginning their, their, their pastoral tenure at a new church. That's right. Or they're seeking to, to lead their church into a new, new season of ministry. And mm-hmm. there is something invigorating about it, especially those early chapters. That's you know? right. That's right. And so I, I guess for pastors listening to the podcast and seminary students and those who have a ministry of the word or, or anticipate soon having one, um, make the case for them, like why they should consider preaching the book of Acts. Yeah. So canonically, everything that's come before Acts is, um, uh, well, in the Old Testament, pre-Jesus. And then you come to the Gospels and it's with Jesus. And now finally we have post-Jesus life. Does that make sense? So mm-hmm. like we, we have this movement where we've been waiting for Christ. He's finally been here. And then now he's gone. And that's the era we live in now, right? Jesus is not here bodily. And so in many ways, Acts actually is so applicable to where we stand today because the church is trying to figure out what does it mean to be a Christian now, to be a Christ follower now that he's gone. And so we enter into the era where it's the new covenant has arrived, the spirit has fallen, and we as believers still have that same spirit. So sometimes I, I think we, we like to push that off in the past, but no, as, as the spirit indwells us, we have the same spirit. And so it really aligns with where we are living between the times, between the time of Jesus leaving in his ascension and returning again in the second coming. And what are we supposed to do in the meantime? Again, uh, not to denigrate Paul's letters or James' letters or all, all those different things, but those are occasional to unique circumstances. In Acts, we have this kind of big picture of what the whole church was doing as they go out. And so it really sets the stage, and I think canonically that's why it's placed there. It sets, sets the stage for the rest of the epistles in terms of in terms of how do they work out some of these problems and issues. Well, and look, hearers, listeners love stories. That's right. And Acts, in one sense, is a grand story for 28 chapters, but it's also a collection of you know, different little mini scenes and mini stories throughout. Definitely. And Definitely. Uh, you know, some books more captivate the attention than others. Acts just is captivating. I mean, is. Again, to read, to follow, to see the the church of Lord Jesus Christ metastasizing throughout you know the Mediterranean region and just see it growing and and moving and God working and That's it's right. and it's it's a story that um, in one sense is ancient but in another sense that contemporary listeners can can easily identify with. That's right, and you have these little vignettes of these uh, Philip and Stephen and and Peter's work and Paul's work and and it's just amazing all these things that happen how God compels them to go to these people that. Really, they probably wouldn't have gone to themselves, but but God's leading them, and so it, it's it's really a fun, fast-paced book. Uh, some people have said it, it's filled with many surprises, and so right. as you turn the page, you're like, "Oh, this is happening!" It is a surprising narrative in many ways. So we were just—I was just talking with a student about Acts 12 when Paul's released from prison, and then he stands at the door of the church, and uh, Rhoda won't let him into the church. So God has let him out of the prison, like the iron gates have been broken down, and then surprisingly enough, the church won't let him in the house. So you have all these surprises in the narrative that you're just kind of shocked at, and it, it wakes you up to recognize God is doing a work in the world, and uh, no one, not Herod at the beginning of that chapter, who's trying to persecute the church can stop him. So some pastors listening um, may feel a little intimidated by the book as far as preaching it, yeah, and in particular as far as the ministry of the Spirit and what's going on in this, in this early era, this early moment. Um, say a word about that mm-hmm. as far as just the preachability of yep. Acts, uh, the ability to, to, to understand what's going on. Yeah. And uh, you know, we, we, I mentioned the issue of, of the gifts and the work mm-hmm. of the Spirit, but uh, if other kind of peculiarities or challenges come to mind, feel free to speak into those as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like the phrase that Acts is both a programmatic book and a transitional book. Um, a transitional book in that it records unique events uh, that happen at one time in the past. So 
we're not going to see another Pentecost because it's happened once. At the same time, you can never take Pentecost away. And so I think we need to balance those two. That's a unique book in terms of this is the start of the church and there are unique things happening. While at the same time, it actually leads us, those things are never taken away. And so we don't ask for another Pentecost in one sense because it's happened, but it doesn't go away. The other way to describe that is the difficulties that uh, preachers find is that kind of classic descriptive versus prescriptive. Mm -hmm. And when you come to the book of Acts, when you have a narrative, you need to ask the question, is it describing something and just telling me what happened or is it telling me to do something? And one of the classic texts I always go to in terms of Acts uh, with that problem is in chapter one, when they choose Matthias, they cast lots. And so you come to that text and you're like, okay, is this descriptive or prescriptive? Are we supposed to cast lots and do these things? And, and you know, you have to take each situation or each narrative on its own and, and ask some questions. But of course not. God wants us all to vote by secret ballot, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but I th- some key questions just that I-, I tell students and I tell others as I'm teaching through this, you want to consider what is primary uh, in the narrative itself and what is incidental. What's primary in that narrative when Matthias is chosen? What's primary is that a 12th um, apostle is chosen. Israel is made whole again in that sense. Symbolically, they're made whole. And so the way that they do that might be more incidental to the narrative than primary to the narrative. So you probably don't want to do a whole sermon on casting lots, so forth and so on. Also, consider whether it's a command or a description. And and here we just have a description of what happened. And, And also consider where it's placed. This is actually placed right before Pentecost. And actually in the Old Testament, God worked a lot by the casting of lots. But if you look forward in the narrative acts, they don't cast lots again you actually have um, in Acts 6 saying, hey, choose some people who are full of wisdom and full of the Spirit. And it seems like the church and the leaders are both involved in that movement. And then you have Paul and Barnabas selecting elders and the church electing elders further on the narrative. So you can see that the casting of lots doesn't um, reoccur again and again and again as something for us to practice. And so that kind of where does it sit in the story right before Pentecost and then what happens afterwards I think that's really helpful for kind of the descriptive, prescriptive uh, conundrum that many people face. Well, and then you get to Acts 15 where you have this gathered deliberative body. That's right. Coming together, yep. led by the Spirit, making decisions, talking yeah. through justification. and uh, Should Gentiles be in? Casting lots. No, they're, they're making right, a decision right, right, based right. on the Scripture and so forth and so on. Yeah. So, uh, again, when you come deeper into the book of Acts and uh, you get into Paul's missionary journeys, yeah. and uh, you wrote an article recently on, on these, I guess— Give us a few summary thoughts on the missionary journeys. Yeah. So what you see in the missionary journeys is you see uh, Antioch, kind of the mother church for the Gentile, Gentile mission, sending out Paul and Barnabas to go to all these different Gentile territories. What really struck me as I worked through the commentary this time is I've kind of lumped all these journeys together in terms of he goes to Gentiles. But as you actually read the narrative, and I just kind of slowed down in my commentary and thought about it, he goes to a bunch of different places where Lystra, it's a little more backwater town. Uh, Athens is a philosophical, or, or like, um, uh, you know, the center, a met- metropolis. You have, um, you have Ephesus, which is the Artemis cult and magic. And you have Philippi, which is a Roman colony. And so you have all these different types of Gentiles who are interacting with this new Christian message. And what I love is that Paul contextualizes the message for each group, but also centers on Jesus in each one. So he proclaims in many ways the same thing, but he also contextualizes the message for each group. And so as he goes to different places, he's recognizing there's not just Gentiles more generally, but they're coming from different backgrounds. And again and again, what you see 
is that Paul, after his first missionary journey, he's going on his second missionary journey. He's wandering around Asia Minor, and you have this in a dream. He has this Macedonian man call him over to Macedonia and Achaia and say, come over here and help us. And so, again, it's very clear it's by the Spirit's prompting and by the Spirit's leading that he keeps kind of going further and further away from Jerusalem into these new territories, into these colonies that are Roman colonies, even in Thessalonica. As he goes and shares the gospel, uh, they say, are you going against the decree? You're actually declaring things that are against the decrees of Caesar. And so they're looking at this and saying, what does this mean for how we interact with the government and, and so forth and so on? And, and what you see again and again is that Paul goes on trial in many of these places, but that the Roman governors and the governors at these different towns, they actually declare him innocent each time. They don't understand his message because they're like, it seems like you're going against what we're supposed to do in our society right now. But at the same time, when we look at your life, you're blameless, you're innocent, you're actually not going against what we're doing. So he's declared innocent over and over again in Acts, which I think Luke is actually instructing his hearers, go out, your message is going to be disruptive. But at the same time, when you go before the courts, you should be kind of um, as wise as serpent, as innocent as doves. That's very well said. So I guess back to you know preaching the book of Acts, some may, listeners may may be thinking, man, twenty eight chapters that's that's a long series. Yeah, yeah. If you were to break up the book in two or maybe three segments, would yeah. there be some natural kind of mm-hmm. page turning points that you would encourage us towards? Yeah. So I like to look at the Jerusalem narrative, the Acts one eight, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There's other three sections of Acts. I think one Acts one through seven is the Jerusalem narrative, and it climaxes at Stephen's speech. Some people break the narrative a little differently because in, in Acts, uh, he likes to kind of enfold his narratives with one another, and so it's a little hard to tell where one switches to the other. He does it very smoothly. But in Stephen's sermon, he has a long sermon about the temple and actually about how God's presence has always gone beyond the temple. And from there, you're introduced to Saul, and, and then suddenly switches, and it goes to Judea and Samaria. So you have Acts 1 through 7, which is Jerusalem, Acts 8 through 12, which is Judea and Samaria, and Acts 13 through 28, which is to the ends of the earth. So that's a nice tripart division of the book, and you can kind of look at it and say, there's a Jerusalem ministry, there's a Judea and Samaria ministry, and then there's a to the ends of the earth. And it's, it's the concentric circles kind of going out from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And, and many people think the ends of the earth is Rome, and in one way, that's right, but there is actually uh, historians of the time who would say, know of lands beyond Rome. So I like to think of Rome as the center of the earth from that worldview, from which the roads led to the ends of the earth. So you know the Roman roads, how they built all these roads so that their armies could travel on them. In the same way, Paul, at the end of the book, ends up in Rome so that I think the gospel can go along all those roads to the ends of the earth. So I guess to pull this together with maybe a final question, um, I'm curious for you. I mean, you, I think you said it was you've written about 270,000 words in the commentary, yeah. two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, was there a moment or a couple of moments or you know, scenarios where you're studying, you're writing, and you just make some kind of new observation? Not new necessarily in the expansive church history, but, but yeah. new to you, or right. a moment where you're just blown away by, wow, I never saw it quite like that before. Yeah. One of the things I emphasize, I don't know if this is new to me, but one of the things I want to emphasize throughout the whole book is, you know, some people say, well, Acts is about the Acts of the Apostles, mm-hmm. or Acts is about the Acts of the Holy Spirit, or Acts is about the Acts of the risen Lord Jesus. Like, there's different emphases, and, and I wanted to emphasize kind of the triune God and his act in Acts itself. And so you have the Father's plan in Acts, 
the risen and exalted Christ and the work of the empowering spirit. And what we have to understand that there is a priority to the Father's plan, which centers on the Son and the Spirit. And so I think if you kind of get that triune character at the beginning and, and rather than seeing it as, well, it's more about the Spirit than about Jesus. Well, the Spirit doesn't come unless Jesus is exalted. And Jesus doesn't come unless it's the Father's plan to send the Son. And so you can actually see all of those themes kind of interweaving throughout the whole narrative again and again. The apostles are quoting the scriptures to say this was God's plan to send Jesus Christ that he might die, that he might rise, that he might offer you forgiveness of sins, and now that the Spirit might come and indwell you. So I don't see those themes as going against one another. It's actually coming together. And, and when we emphasize kind of the sovereignty of God and what God's doing in the church and in the world, that doesn't actually take away from the mission of the church. It empowers the mission of the church. Another way to say that is divine agency doesn't cancel out human agency. It actually empowers human agency. And we see that through the whole New Testament. It doesn't make them lackadaisical and sit back and say, oh, God's got this. We'll just sit back and watch him do it. No, it actually makes them work all the harder. And I think as pastors come to the book of Acts, you can encourage your people to rest that God is going to do a work in this world with or without you. And you can say, you should join him in this mission because he wants to use you in this and he will use you in this. So have confidence. Jesus Christ has overcome the world. You can overcome the world. Just excellent. Dr. Schreiner, thank you so much for your book. We look forward to seeing it out on the shelf. When might that be? Uh, we're, st- we're still talking about that. I'm thinking maybe uh, summer or fall 2021. Okay. Well, thank you for your work and thank you for the conversation today. Thanks, Dr. Allen, for having me. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.